afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's going on and welcome to another edition of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack and here with me as always is Luke Smith. We've got a fun show in store for today. First and foremost, we've got to talk about the Fighting Irish baseball team who shocked the baseball world by knocking off the number one ranked Tennessee Volunteers in game three of the Super Regionals on Sunday to advance to the first College World Series uh, for Notre Dame at least since 2002. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I followed the results throughout the spring, but I didn't really start watching this group until the regionals against Texas Tech. But I'm all aboard the bandwagon now. It's been such a blast to watch this group over the past two weeks, basically. (laughs) Um, And it was especially satisfying to watch them eliminate the bad boys of baseball in front of their ruthless and toothless home crowd down there in Knoxville. Uh, Then we're going to talk some recruiting because we're right in the middle of maybe two of the most important weeks of the year for Notre Dame's recruiting operation. The Irish hosted 17 official visitors this past weekend. They have another wave of official visitors coming to South Bend this upcoming weekend. And they secured three commitments last week alone, including two offensive linemen in the class of 2023, three-star offensive lineman Joe Otting out of Kansas, and four-star offensive tackle Elijah Page out of Arizona. But the biggest commitment last week, the one that everybody's talking about, is C.J. Carr, the five-star quarterback in the class of 2024 out of Michigan, who announced his commitment to Notre Dame on Thursday. We're hoping to have our friend Mike Singer, the recruiting insider for Blue and Gold, on next week to go over all the new commits and and really everything that transpired on these official visits. But today, we're going to focus primarily on C.J. Carr and the potential ramifications of his commitment. Plus, we're going to take a look at quarterback recruiting as a whole in college football and try to get a better understanding of Notre Dame's position in it all. But first, uh, the Irish are headed to Omaha, Luke, and I hear you might be headed there yourself. I am thinking about it. Tentatively have some flights booked for this opening weekend. I've been in the College World Series twice, never with a rooting interest. So um, I, I would love to see the Irish there. I don't know if that will ever happen again, uh, especially considering it seems like our coach, Link Jarrett, might be headed back to his alma mater after this season comes to an end for the state. Um, but regardless, yeah, that was pretty cool yesterday, having Notre Dame knock off. Number one team in the country. Um, it's kind of been a running joke that we live for these two to three weeks every year where we pay attention to Notre Dame baseball because, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll follow the scores on Twitter, but I'd be lying if I said I had watched more than two games or parts of two games prior to, to <laughs> yeah. the postseason. So, anyways, uh, college baseball actually is pretty entertaining just because Super I Super entertaining. Yeah, it's uh, it's very different from the pros, mainly because they're not nearly as good, obviously, but it's <laughs> – but it's uh, it's pretty cool for Notre Dame to go back to Omaha, especially when you consider where that program was at when we were in school. I mean, they were terrible. I, I don't think they came even close Horrible. to making the tournament when we were in school. I remember, no offense, but like there were kids on the team when I was in school that I played against in high school that I was better than. Like that, like they just that <laughs> last coach had no idea what he was doing, and I was not a very good high school baseball player. Anyways, uh, awesome win. Tennessee was impressively unlikable, so. That made that even sweeter. Um, and, yeah, uh, as of now, I'm, I'm thinking probably head to Omaha Thursday and, and watch the Irish take on the Texas Longhorns in, in the opening game of the College World Series. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed watching that and I'm excited to, to continue to uh, see this, this run go on. Yeah, my thing with college baseball is I don't watch it very often. But when I do, it's usually super entertaining. For all the reasons you just mentioned, these guys are really, really talented baseball players. But as they pointed out in the broadcast yesterday, they're not professionals. And that is abundantly clear at multiple points in the game. I don't know if you saw this in the uh, one of the games Texas was playing in the Super Regionals. They had three errors in an inning, including one 
not necessarily Jose Canseco bad, but the center fielder and the left fielder were crashing towards a ball at the warning track, and there was a miscommunication. Then it hits the center fielder's glove and goes over the fence for a home run. Yeah. So that's just the kind of stuff you see in college baseball. And, I mean, you think in Notre Dame's case, that error by Tennessee on that throw to first base, and that kind of is what led to Notre Dame opening the floodgates a little bit. But it was really fun, and that crowd, you could even hear it through the broadcast, man, how many Tennessee fans were talking shit to Notre Dame constantly. Yeah, it was interesting. I, um, you know, honestly, I had this tweet queued up if, if we hadn't made that comeback, basically saying I'm really sick of having Notre Dame teams lose in the postseason to a bunch of hicks, uh, given <laughs> Tennessee, uh, Texas Tech in basketball, and, of course, Alabama and Clemson in football. I'm just kind of tired of Hicks beating up on us in the postseason. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if Clemson is like – Have you ever been there before? I mean, they're in Carolina. No, that's true. It's pretty I just Hickish. don't affiliate them with Hicks. Yeah. I, I, maybe I'm throwing them in a little bit. But anyways, uh, the thing that I was just blown away by was why they adopted the classless first Catholics thing themselves. Like, you should have just said idiots versus Catholics. Like, why would you embrace that? That, that, that? I don't know. But then you saw fans throwing beer and mustard bottles once again onto a Tennessee athletic field, which I never thought I'd see again after that whole uh, Lane Kiffin thing from October. But at least this time there are no golf balls for, our, I guess, our coach to get hit by, like Lane got hit by one in, in October. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think Knoxville would be an awesome place to go for a football game, but those people need some help. Yeah, it's a great place to go for a football game. Honestly, one of the most fun atmospheres I've ever experienced at a college football game. But their fans, they're just addicted to throwing stuff on the field. They wasted no time. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he struck out, and he gets ejected, and immediately they were tossing shit on the field. It's like they were waiting for that moment where they could just explode and throw shit on the field. Maybe it was just like a great indicator of how the series was going to go. Uh was in... The first inning of game one, uh, Carter Potts, Notre Dame's first baseman, when he hit that homer, I read this in The Athletic by... It was Joe Re- Rexrod or something? Yeah, Joe Rexrod. Um, there's a great, a great quote, so he's interviewing some of the uh, Tennessee students, and a sophomore girl was basically saying, like, it's going to be a long-ass night for the first baseman on the opposing team, and they look, you know, they're doing research online, which, I mean, I'm sure isn't that hard to do. But basically, they're looking for ex-girlfriends, girlfriend. I think the exact quote was, a girlfriend is good, but if you can find an ex-girlfriend, that's even better. <laughs> and then for Carter Putz, they, I guess they found out the names of two of his ex-girlfriends plus his current one. Notre Dame comes up, and uh, when Carter's first at bat, he just pummels a two-run homer. It's right field, puts Notre Dame on the board early. And I think that's going to be the lasting memory of this series, is Notre Dame just going to Knoxville and just shutting up all those fans. And really... They had everyone who cares and roots about college baseball on their back, which is very rare. Notre Dame isn't typically uh, an America's team, let's say. No, yeah, that, that was pretty remarkable to, to see the way that that all came together. But, yeah, um, I was watching game one flying back from Atlanta on Friday. I had it on the plane, and like I was kind of stunned, honestly, just the way they came out and, and dominated that game. It got close. And then, of course, Saturday – didn't go so well, and I can't say I was totally surprised by that. Um, but some of the shit that those Tennessee guys were doing was just like, like, okay, I, I played a high school baseball. Like, I, I kind of grow tired of, like, some of the old people who were like, oh, bat flipping and that shit is brutal. Don't do it. But, like, what those guys do was actually fucking ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like they should seriously do some reflection and realize that, like, they just look like the biggest tools of all time. And, like, that's, like, that's what karma is, right? When you set yourself up to look like an asshole and then you lose, people are going to dance and piss all over your grave. So, like, that's kind of what they set themselves up for. Yeah, and again, we're not – Obviously, huge college baseball fans, but it does seem like a lot of it is brought on because the coach, Tony Vitello, mm-hmm. he seems to be like the orchestrator of it all and sort of encourages it from the players. I couldn't help but laugh at every time they showed Drew Gilbert. He's the one who obviously got ejected in game one and missed game two because of that ejection. Whenever they showed him, his whole like get up. First of all, he probably empties his, his eye, eye black, black was below his chin. <laughs> and it's so much. Yeah. And his and his glasses too. 
he's got the checkered orange and white headband. Every time the camera panned to him, he just had this stupid look on his face. And I was just like, wow, that is just the most hateable guy. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, he's a great player, clearly. And apparently he's going to be a first round pick in the upcoming MLB draft. So he's a great player. But every time they showed him, I was like, all right, yeah, I totally get why everyone ha- hates this team. He just looks like just a mega tool, like you were saying. Yeah, and it's funny as you saying that, as you say that, because one of the things that I thought was most ridiculous was just the whole fur coat and like the daddy hat thing every time they hit a home run. Um, yeah, I'm looking at pictures that Matt Freeman from Irish Sports Daily took of Notre Dame returning to campus today. Marcus Freeman's there greeting them. There's a Notre Dame kid. I'll show you this picture. I don't know if you can see it. Wearing a daddy hat, getting off the bus. This is just a one last troll effort. Which I know we ta- we didn't talk about this on that, but. Apparently, members of the Irish team were at a bar in Knoxville last night blasting Rocky Top. So, I mean, they really... They really are enjoying this one. Can you blame them, though? For the past three yeah. days, all they had to listen to was Tennessee fans in their ear all game. And I, let's be honest, like it wasn't really looking good for Notre Dame up until that seventh inning when that comeback happened. And, and I was almost ready to like check out of the game. I was like, all right, man, they just they can't get anything going here. And then all of a sudden, the two-run homer to tie it. Brannigan hits a homer that still hasn't landed to take the lead. And then all of a sudden, Notre Dame is going to Omaha. But I don't blame them at all for saying. I do think it's funny, though, that they decided to stay. Because you think about it, like, Knoxville is not that far from Notre Dame. The game ended yesterday afternoon. Like, they could have easily just come back. They're like, nah, we're going to give them one night in Knoxville to really just, like, tear it up and and take over the city. (laughs) One other thing I was laughing about, though, is Jack Finley, this freshman. Yeah. So I... uh, I couldn't help but laugh when he comes out, like the guys that Tennessee has, like Jordan Beck, who's the 6'3 dude with a mullet and was like slamming the bat against his chest after he just destroyed that ball in game two. Jack Finley's got a baby face. He's a freshman and ain't nothing wrong with baby face. I have a baby (laughs) face myself. He doesn't have overpowering stuff, but I somehow ended up on his Twitter. He's not very active. So one of his more recent ones is a tweet from April of last year, and he retweeted something, his stat line from a high school game. He struck out, or he threw 17 strikeouts in six and a third. So he struck out 17 of 18 Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show you just how, how good these guys are and how dominant they are when they're playing like in high school against much inferior competition. But that's insane. Yeah, I mean, that... Like I said, I don't have a ton of exposure to this team this year outside of the playoffs. But what I will say is when I started watching in the regional and they bring in this freshman twice in high leverage situations, yeah. gets two saves in the regional, and then he gets two saves this weekend against the number one team in the country. Then I was listening to the post-game press conference and Link Jarrett's like, yeah, that guy's never pitched in relief before in his life. And now he has four of like just the highest leverage saves. One's a win, yeah. actually, of all time. I know, and he doesn't even throw, like, overpowering stuff, really. Does he get over 90? I think he sat – he was sitting at 93 yesterday, actually. But he was usually between 89 and 91, so yeah. Yeah, so he's just – he's basically Greg Maddox. (laughs) Jack Finley um, is Greg Maddox. So when are you heading to Omaha? Thursday, if if all goes to plan? If all goes to plan, uh, Thursday night, yeah. And I'm hopeful – They'll play Friday and Sunday, so we get to see two games. But we'll see. Um, still, that's not confirmed yet, but uh, I'd like to make it happen. So we'll see. Hopefully, we can reverse course here on your postseason history because yeah. it has yeah. not been great <laughs> to say. Uh, yeah, I think I've got like one postseason win ever, and it's like one ACC basketball game. So that's kind of it. Yeah, like that All I've right. seen in person. Yeah. Well, maybe the Fighting Irish baseball team could turn things around. Um, all right, we good on baseball? We did I think 13 so. 13 minutes on yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Man, we went from the WNBA last week to That's now true. college baseball. Wow. We're really bringing up new stuff. Yeah, we're really just hitting every sport. Tune in next week for our lacrosse update. All right, so the big news last week I mentioned at the top, CJ Carr, number 20 overall player in the class of 2024, according to the 24-7 composite ranking. He's the highest-rated offensive player to commit to Notre Dame in over a decade. This is this is pretty long overdue because the last quarterback of this uh, rating, let's say, was Gunnar Keel. And in the time since Keel signed with Notre Dame, Notre Dame has signed just three quarterbacks who are in the top 100 of their class, those being Brandon Wimbush, Phil Dracovic, and Tyler Buckner. In that same time span, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, you know, the elite of the elite, they've signed 18 <laughs> top yeah. 100 quarterbacks. So we got a little catching up to do. 
But, you know, for all the obvious reasons, the Michigan ties, his ability as a player, this is a major win for Notre Dame. It really is. I mean, you mentioned all the numbers and the significance just from a this was bound to happen sort of state where we were due for one. But I, I think the bigger thing for me is the significance of getting an elite quarterback committed so early on for a class. This is obviously assuming he doesn't reclassify, which we'll get into later. But I think just the importance of, of getting a quarterback committed early on can only help with getting skill players and really any other player in the class is a lot more interested in, in going to Notre Dame and, and playing with a kid that that's, that's that good. Um, I, and I've seen his clips. We posted them last week. He just looks incredibly smooth, like very just consistent for a high school quarterback. Like he doesn't really seem to deviate from his throwing motion. It's just the same thing every time. Um, he is a bit older for his class. He's 17 years old as a high school sophomore. But um, then there was some interesting stuff I, that we can talk about later that I that I kind of learned through it. But yeah, of course, it's it's a bit sweeter knowing that he's from Ann Arbor and all the Michigan ties that he does have. So um, huge pickup for Tommy Rees and, and Marcus Freeman, and, and we'll see what else this means for that 2024 class, assuming he stays in that. Yeah, and something you and I talked about uh, before we started recording is this seemed to be something that CJ wanted to do for a while. Um, mm-hmm. He's been ready to commit to Notre Dame for a long time, and I think his his father sort of advised that he waited out, maybe take some official visits, because again, so he's a class of 2024. He just finished his sophomore year of high school, so he's still got a long ways to go. And then the fact that he's, like you said, he committed so early – um, now Notre Dame can build their entire class around him. They already have some serious momentum in the class of 2024. And then when you have the centerpiece, you have that five-star quarterback, it makes it a lot easier to pitch to skill guys and stuff like, hey, this is going to be the guy that you're playing with. And look at him. I think uh, on the Irish Illustrated podcast, they said he looked like basically central casting if you were to make any high school football movie mm-hmm. and the, what the quarterback would look like. That's exactly what he looks like. He's like six two and a half, one ninety five. You mentioned he's seventeen years old. The interesting th- thing to me, he's seventeen, but he's only been playing tackle football for four years, I believe. He didn't start playing until the seventh grade, so okay. seventh, eighth, freshman, sophomore year. So he's really yeah, four years of tackle football. So he's already this talented. He's only been playing four years, even though he's a little bit older. I think that he can grow into his game a lot more, and he's got plenty to learn and plenty of ways to grow over these next few years playing. Um, high school football in Michigan, which they might not be like, you know, Florida or California, but it's the Midwest. There's still some really good high school football there. Without a doubt. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of room for growth there. Um, I, I think what, what you mentioned there about the fact that he's only played four years, Pete Sampson made a comment on the Shamrock basically saying when he was at his commitment thing, um, the, his high school coach made some opening comments and uh, said, like, you know, I'm really looking forward to having CJ play for me for the next two years with, like, a sense of inflection in that, too. So uh, who knows what that, that actually is going to mean. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think that, obviously, there's been so much attention paid to Dante Moore this entire time that it's, it's kind of just, like, a nice thing. It's like, all right, well, now you have a little bit of room insurance-wise, regardless of whatever ends up happening with Dante Moore, and, and I know that obviously we want more, um, and, and I, I meant that both literally and as, I guess, a pun. Um, like, we, yeah. we would like to have both. But it's just – it's so critical to, to get somebody so early on in this process. I really – I don't know when Steven Angeli committed. I think it was sort of early. Um, but it might have been before, like, in his junior year, right? Because I'm trying to think yeah, of, like – Yeah, it was early. Because, like – I just don't feel like we've had a quarterback commit this early in a long time, like a sophomore commit in a long time, at least that I recall. Certainly um, like, certainly not of this caliber. No, like, I mean, even like Brandon Wimbush, we got him in October of his senior year because he decommitted from Penn State. Um, I, I don't remember. I think Book was like in the summer going into his senior year, um, and he obviously was not nearly as highly touted. So, yeah, it's it's just it's, it's rare for us uh, outside of the fact that we just don't usually get quarterbacks of this caliber. It's true. And it almost kind of like snuck up on people. I think people knew the name. They knew Notre Dame was very involved in his recruitment. But because of the tension that's been placed on more, both by the fan base and the team and, and really everyone that covers the team, it was a bit of a surprise just that they you know got him to commit as early as he did. Again, it's a huge win for the Notre Dame football program. But uh, how does this impact Dante Moore? Because Dante Moore is in the class of 2023. We've, we've mentioned could 
car reclassify. The whole situation there is a little bit confusing because he did say right now it's unlikely that he will, and he plans on uh, – was that thunder? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm in the middle of it. This tornado warning looks like it's turning into a tornado. So this is podcasting <laughs> in the elements. Okay. I'm going to keep that in. That's just podcasting in the elements, folks. It's yeah. just dedicated over here. Um, but, yeah, so he's not planning on reclassifying. Mm-hmm. However, he's been taking online classes – and he's going to continue to do so to sort of keep that option on the table if right. he decides to change his mind. And now this is speculating, but I think part of that might be Notre Dame being like, hey, could you keep doing this so that if we do need you to reclassify, you can. If it works out best for both parties, I don't think Notre Dame would ever be in a situation where they like force their hand and make him if he doesn't really want to. But I don't know. It's interesting that they're going about that. And this would be unprecedented territory territory for Notre Dame because – um, Notre Dame has never had a, a high school player reclassify and in coming into Notre Dame early. It's still a relatively new thing for college football as a whole. Ohio State is sort of getting out in front of that with Quinn Ewers and Sonny Styles, But right now, it, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And I would kind of be surprised if he did end up reclassifying. Yeah, and, and I know that really, like, when it comes to ND admissions, it's all about just how many credits you've taken in high school, not necessarily how long you've been in high school, but... Just like honestly, just knowing what ND admissions is like, I would be very surprised if they if they truly if they kind of allowed that. Like I, I think there would be a lot more issues than than what you think. Um, just with reclassif- reclassification, like they they have significantly changed their standards and you know let things slide that probably didn't 15, 20 years ago. But I think that's one that they would probably still cling to. Like and and frankly. I think it's kind of weird when kids reclassify. Like it's like he is older, so he's got that. Yeah, he is um, older, and I, um, so that that's true. But to me, it's like really like, can you really be ready for high school like a year, full year early? I, I just don't know. But but it is a little bit different, I guess, in this case. Yeah, I think in this case, because of the fact that he is seventeen, he might be able to make that transition a little bit more smoothly than say like a sixteen-year-old going to college or early yeah. enrolling. So. For now, let's just plan on seeing CJ Carr early enroll um, and not really <laughs> stepping on campus as a member of the Notre Dame football team until January of 2024. So we've got a little bit of time there, which then leads us to Dante Moore because we've talked about him on this podcast. I think every person who covers Notre Dame has had to talk about Dante Moore ad nauseum by this point. And obviously, this changes things. At the same time that it became clear to everyone that CJ Carr had silently committed to Notre Dame. Mike Singer from Blue and Gold and Tom Loy from Irish Illustrated indicated that Notre Dame was no longer the leader for more. Because they reported this at the same time, it does suggest that, you know, there's a direct correlation there. But I'm not sure that's true for, you know, a bunch of different reasons. Now, CJ's dad did admit that the family had been monitoring, that's the word he used, Notre Dame's recruitment of Dante Moore, but it did not factor in his decision to commit now. And now we're hearing that, Um, Notre Dame is still very much involved in Moore's recruitment. We've talked about it before, how this is one of the weirder recruitments as a whole that we've experienced as Notre Dame fans. But uh, what's your sense of his recruitment, his status with Notre Dame right now? I know it sort of changes every day, but what's your gauge on it? Yeah, what you just said right there about it changing every day is kind of what I'm going to say. Like, I really have no idea what's going on there, nor does anybody really seem to. And, And like, you know, there are people that do this for a living and, I trust that they're telling what they're told, but it seems like this is a really unique one in a, in a lot of different ways because um, I don't know, like the, I guess right when Carr committed, there was this narrative that Notre Dame might stop recruiting Dante more. And that never made any sense to me, like, especially because then later that week we heard, Oh, actually there's new Intel and they are still recruiting him. Why would they give up? I, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it doesn't at all. I, I don't get it. Um, what I will say is that, I think I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome at this point, um, except if, except I'm going to Michigan. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that would be, and now that I say that, watch, it'll happen. Yeah. But um, You already jinxed it before, because didn't you say you were you were convinced that Notre Dame would get Dante Moore, and then like the next day this came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so. you to blame. <laughs> right. If we don't get him. Um, I mean, the latest thing we saw today, which – doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. It was from Chad Simmons and on three. Dante Moore was at a passing camp this past weekend. I think somewhere somewhere out west. I want to say I'm not I'm not sure where it was. Um, but 
the quote was Dante Moore was a hot name around the fields the last few days. Coming out of this event, I like LSU, Michigan, and Oregon as the main three. The visit to Texas A&M is big, and they will have to make up some big ground. LSU definitely seems to be in the thick of this. Michigan is the local school. Oregon has quietly put itself in a good position, too, which you just basically said four schools all have a shot, so you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Um, Sorry. But uh, anyways, and then he says the decision is likely to come by the end of the summer based on what Moore said this week, too. Moore seems very intrigued with the opportunity at Oregon. He has that connection with Brian Kelly at LSU. The Irish have definitely faded considerably. Michigan is one he has to continue to watch. Miami's involved, too. That's just like one run-on sentence, basically. Um, <laughs> but, like, the connection with Brian Kelly gave me a good chuckle because um, if, if we've heard anything the last six months, it's how Brian Kelly never recruits. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure they had a really good connection. Yeah, that part didn't really make sense to me either. And as we've said before – No one really knows what's going on. I mean, he's a five-star quarterback. He should take all of his official visits. He should, Mm -hmm. you know, see around what's available for him. But I guess the dialogue and some of the conversation that's been going on about, I guess, since C.J. Carr's commitment, I think we're we're reaching a little bit, and I say we as just the people who talk and, and cover this team, because the idea to me that Dante Moore wouldn't go to Notre Dame because they signed a guy in the class behind him makes no sense to me because if you look at every single school he's considering other than Notre Dame, really, they've got a really highly ranked QB on campus already, either in this past class in 2022 or in 2021. Like, look at LSU. They signed Walker Howard. He was a five-star in the class of 2022. Oregon had Ty Thompson. He was the number 40 overall player in the class of 2021. Texas A&M got Connor Wigman, five-star, class of 2022. And Michigan has J.J. McCarthy, who was a five-star in the class of 2021. These guys are already on the team. You would think that they would definitely impede Moore's potential playing time way more than a QB commit in the class behind him. Now, now we've heard the word optics used a couple times because they're both from Michigan. None of that really seems to make sense to me. I don't doubt that that's what these recruiting guys are being told. But I'm thinking whoever is using that quote doesn't understand what optics means. Because, like, oh, God forbid, why would Notre Dame want to have two really good quarterbacks? That's That would be really stupid. What a bad look. Like, it's, optics is not the right word. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the one thing we kind of make clear here is Notre Dame should definitely not stop recruiting Dante Moore because they got – C.J. Carr, as great as it is to have C.J. Carr in the class of 24, again, he doesn't even step on campus as a real student, likely, for another year and a half. And if we know anything about quarterbacks, it's that a lot of them just don't don't pan out. So if you're any school, I think some some schools abide by the theory like every other year, that's a safe bet. Whereas, you know, you got a school like Ohio State who said, screw that, every year we're going to recruit the quarterback position as aggressively as we can. And, you know, it's worked out pretty damn well for them. The last time they had a, a mediocre quarterback, I think, it was 2011 in Joe Bowserman. You know, every year they've got a great quarterback, and that's, I think, in large part to the fact they're going to be like, hey, we're going to sign the top guys. If you come here, you're going to have to compete, and you're way less likely to just have a dud. And, you know, I'm very much team Tyler Buckner is going to be a really, really good college football player, but I, I don't know about Drew Pine. I, I don't really have a ton of confidence in him. And Steve Jelly. it's way too early to be able to project anything there. And he obviously didn't come in with the sort of highly touted status as some of these other guys. So it's great to have Carr, but as it pertains to the class of 2023, Notre Dame will uh, really aggressively recruit the quarterback position, whether it be more or maybe someone else. The idea also that I think has been thrown out there I'm not, I don't know that this is actual reporters saying this. It might just be more fans, but like that Dante Moore would be scared off by like the kid the year behind you um, coming in. The the stupid thing to me is when you're that good of a quarterback, you're that highly touted, like you're, you inherently have a big ego. You just do. Like you think you're better than everybody else. So like, why should it matter? And you should, yeah. Yeah. So why should it matter if some other kid is going to come in? You think they're going to play anyway. So. I just – I don't buy that either. I don't. Yeah, and, and you and I did this exercise, and we're going to go through it now here. To win at this level in college football, you have to have an elite quarterback. That's that's obvious. That's been made clear over the past five years and even before that. But you really have to have a truly special player leading the offense at the quarterback position. And if you look at the last five years, 
six out of the 10 quarterbacks to win a game in the college football playoff were ranked in the top five among the quarterbacks in their recruiting class, according to the on three consensus rankings. There's a lot of different rankings out there. I like the on three consensus because it utilizes the rankings of all the major recruiting outlets, including 24 seven rivals, ESPN, you know, all the usual faces and they weigh them equally. And then they rank the players based on that, uh, the mean there. So the on three currently has Carr as the fifth rated quarterback in the class of 2024, number 23 player nationally. Looking back the last five years, Bryce Young, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jake Fromm, and Deshaun Watson, each won at least one playoff game. They were all top five quarterbacks in their class. Of the four that weren't, you have Mac Jones, who's number 19, Joe Burrow, number 28. So they were surrounded by two of maybe the greatest teams in college football history. And then you have Stetson Bennett. Uh, He's the clear outlier to the rule. (laughs) Bennett is a future consultant at Deloitte and was fortunate enough to have five first-rounders on the other side of the ball. So we're going to rule him out for the uh, purpose of this exercise. But when you dig into it a little bit more, you realize that like one top quarterback is not enough because a lot of these guys don't pan out. That's just the way it is. And to show you, Luke and I are going to go through it now. We're going to go through the top five quarterbacks, uh, according to the on three consensus, starting in 2020. And we'll go through uh, all the way back to 2016. We got five years of data. Uh, I feel like 2020 is a good place to start because those guys are going to be now uh, going to be juniors. So enough of a sample size. And obviously our assessments of whether they were a hit or a bust are a little bit subjective, but we're going to lean towards the player as a hit. uh, So long as he at least had, you know, one good year. All right, we'll start off in uh, 2020. Number one, Bryce Young committed to Alabama. I think that's a hit. (laughs) Yeah, he's been all right. (laughs) He's all right. Number two, DJ Uyunglele, Clemson. Yeah, I think that one's still a little up in the air. Um, if you play Notre Dame every day, he'd definitely be a hit. But um, or Boston College, I guess. But I think that one's still a little up in the air. I I tend to believe that he actually is going to figure it out this year. But um, but that that's maybe still TBD. Okay. Yeah. So for him, we'll say to be determined. We'll evaluate that after this year. Uh, number three, CJ Stroud to Ohio State. Yeah, he's not bad. Okay. So three for three so far. All right. Now we get to number four. Harrison Bailey, uh, committed to Tennessee. He's now at UNLV. Yeah, I had never heard of him, so I'm going to suffice to say he's not very good. I know. It's only been a couple years, but the fact that he's at UNLV, that's a bust. Uh, Number five, Hudson Card at Texas. He's still there. Yeah, he had one good week. Uh, I think he was a starter to open last year, and then he got benched. And uh, I'm going to say he's a bust. Yeah, I think now with Quinn Ewers as the starter, he's probably going to transfer. Maybe he just wants to hang around and be a backup. But uh, for the sake of this, we're going to say that he is a bust. So out of the top five in 2020, we have two solid hits, one to be determined, and then two pretty clear busts. All right, moving to 2019, number one overall quarterback was Spencer (laughs) Rattler, committed to Oklahoma. He is now playing for South Carolina. Bust. 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 Yes. Okay. He really only had, what, what, this past season in 2020, COVID year. I feel like that's a little bit harsh. Maybe it could get better, but he basically got ran out of town. Yeah. <laughs> On our spreadsheet, we have red for bust, green for hits. I've got him in an orange, certainly leaning bust, but I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt with this last year. Okay, number two, Bo Nix committed to Auburn. He's now at Oregon. Yeah. Like, I don't really want to call him either, to be honest. Like, I, for the number two. The number two quarterback in the class, I would say that he has performed below expectations. Now, if we were talking about just like being able to make ridiculous plays and then just play like shit the rest of the game, then <laughs> that would be Bo Nix hitting like yeah. on all on all levels. But I, I think he's just been like below what you would expect from a number two quarterback in the country. Yeah, I'm going to say, again, I'm being a little bit conservative here. I'm going to say hit just because he did give them three years as a starter now he's at Oregon. Maybe he has a chance to prove himself. But, yeah, compared to his expectations, number two overall quarterback, it's it's tough to say that he really lived up to those. All right, number three, uh, Graham Mertz <laughs> out of Wisconsin. Yeah, that's been well documented. All right, we get it. He sucks. Bust. <laughs> Moving on to number four, Ryan Helinski, South Carolina. He now plays for Northwestern. Yeah, he hasn't been very good either. He did start as a freshman, but um, I would say he's – Definitely more towards the bust side. Yeah, he's a bust, I'd say, too. Five, Sam Howell, North Carolina. He was pretty good. Um, I'd say he was definitely a hit. 
Yeah, I would say definitely a hit as well. Dealt with unfortunate circumstances. That Terrible being offensive worst, lines. The worst offensive line in college football. So in 2019, out of the five, we got one Spencer Rattler to be determined, two hits in Bo Nix, and then two busts in Graham Mertz and Randall Linsky. All right, 2018. This was a good year for quarterbacks. Number one, Trevor Lawrence to Clemson. Yeah, uh, I think he's a hit, right? Uh, he won a national championship and made it to three playoffs. So I think he was pretty good. And and then you saw what Clemson's looked like without him. So Yeah, maybe one of the best college quarterbacks I've ever seen. I think that'd be yeah. a hit. Number two, Justin Fields to Georgia. This is interesting because he obviously transferred after his freshman year. What would you call him? I I mean, he's a hit, but at a different school, right? And I, right. I think... Things. He probably would have hit at Georgia if Kirby wasn't so indebted to Jake Fromm. Um, and but just un, you know unfortunate situation there. I think Fields is a hit. I gotta call him a hit. Yeah, he's a hit. But the fact that he went to a different school does sort of complicate things because yeah, you know you let that one get away. Again, that's a tricky situation for Kirby. You have Jake Fromm who leads your team to the national championship game as a true freshman, and then you got Fields coming in. So. Tricky situation, but um, it went to a different school, so I, that doesn't really count as a hit for Georgia, but it does for Ohio State. Number three, JT Daniels committed to USC, then he ended up at Georgia, and now a West Virginia Mountaineer. So, yeah, the, the three-school thing is never a good sign, probably, right? Um, that said, I kind of do feel like JT Daniels isn't necessarily a bust. I'd say he's had some tough injury luck. Maybe something weird with his dad and Kirby Smart, too, um, where then that's why he didn't play last year. But, I mean, I, I think we've talked about this on this podcast. When we played him as in 2018, and he was a freshman at USC, we literally said to each other, like, wow, we're going to play this kid three more times. Like, he's going to beat us at least once, maybe twice. Yeah. Um, obviously, it hasn't panned out like that. Um, but I, I don't want to call him a bust. I, I think I'll call him, like – a, uh, a misfire um, and uh, potentially could get redirected in his last stop in West Virginia. If we go back in the archives, there was definitely one day where you and I and some of our friends in our Notre Dame football group chats were quite upset at the thought of JT Daniels playing for Cliff Kingsbury at USC oh, yeah. and how oh, yeah. that would look. Um, all right. So personally, I'm going to say a bus, three schools, you know, he had a yeah. good freshman year. It's unfortunate circumstances because of the injury. You can't really say that he's lived up to expectations. Four, Dorian Thompson-Robinson to UCLA. I would say he's a hit um, because UCLA was really, really bad before him, and now they're just average, and he's had a pretty solid career as the starter. He's had some pretty good numbers, and uh, I would also say he's been a hit because isn't it him who was high school teammates with uh, Tate Martell? Did he go to Bishop Gorman? I, and I believe he was a wide receiver. Wow. Yep. He was. You're right. He did go to yeah. Bishop Gorman. So he's definitely he's definitely a hit because Mr. Martell, who will be discussed, might be the biggest bust <laughs> of the bunch. <laughs> exactly. All right, number five, though, in the class of 2018, Joey Gatewood. He committed to Auburn, and then he ended up on Kentucky, and now he's at UCF. Yeah, that, that literally sounds like a name of a guy in, like, MLB, MVP baseball 2005, like, like auto-generic player. Like, that's – I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is a bust. So we got this good year, two busts, three hits. Um, all right, moving on, 2017. This one will go through quicker. First one, this shocked me. Davis Mills, that's the Houston Texans' current starting quarterback. He committed to Stanford. So this is a weird one. Yeah, like I was – I guess I did remember or I did know that he was the number one uh, quarterback in that class, but just because his time at Stanford – was so forgettable. I had sort of forgotten that. And his numbers that I looked up today kind of support that too. I mean, for his yeah. career, he had he basically played two years and he had 18 touchdowns and eight picks. Uh, just nothing really that impressive. Like 65% completion percentage. Like I, I'm going to call him very meh. Like I wouldn't call yeah. him a hit. Stanford was also – that was really – 2019 was the start of Stanford's decline. So, um, yeah, he might be responsible for that. So there we go. Yeah, this was a really hard evaluation for me because you think he's a starting quarterback on an NFL team, <laughs> but if you look at his college numbers and his college career, nothing about his stats in, in 
the results at Stanford would suggest that he lived up to the expectations of a number one quarterback in his class. But I guess, I mean, for this, I'm going to say he's a hit because, you know, it wasn't like he's a complete bust and flamed out of football. Like he ended up in the pros. Uh, But at two, I think this one is a little bit more cut and dry. Hunter Johnson committed to Clemson and then ended up at Northwestern. Well, and now he's back at Clemson. Oh, there you did go. You not, did you not know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> so uh, he called Dabo this oh, offseason. Oh, right, yes. And was like, hey, I want to be a GA. And yes. he goes, why don't you just play? Like, like yes. we need somebody to run the scout team, basically. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, bust. Hey, but there's a year left. <laughs> he could, he could, <laughs> if, worst case scenario, he's, who knows? Well, he's third string? Yeah, that, probably. Behind, uh, Klubnik or is it? Yeah, Klubnik and DJ, yeah. Okay, three. Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama. Okay, so he was a hit. Um, however, I think Whoa. like every, no, 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 no. Whoa. This is what I want. This is this is this what was I supposed to be say. like. So easy. All right, go ahead. No, but this is what I want to say okay. is that there's that there's that picture of like the receivers he threw to, and it's rugs. Judy and Devonta Smith. And I remember one of our friends sent that in. He goes, look at this picture. I could throw to those pricks. Like, just like, I don't think Tua really had to do a whole lot, but I guess he, he was a hit. He won, an, he won a national championship. So we're going to give him a hit. Yeah. Um, number four, the quarterback he beat in said national championship, Jake from Georgia. I'm going to call him a hit. Um, I mean, I think some would probably argue some Georgia fans would probably argue that Justin Fields, should have started over him, but um, he did get them to a national championship game as a true freshman. So uh, I, I think Jake Fromm's a hit. Totally a hit. I don't think how you could say it otherwise. And I remember that Notre Dame-Georgia game in 2019. Fromm won the game for Georgia. He was locked in in the second half, just abused our corners with his back shoulder fades, and Notre Dame couldn't really do anything against him. And I think Georgia was out without um, their top two receivers that game too. So uh, good player. Yeah, obviously the Fields thing complicates it, but I I mean, he was 100% a hit as a college football quarterback. Five, Tate Martell committed to Ohio State. Then he ended up at Miami. I think he was receiver at one point. Uh, and then closed with UNLV and then just sort of faded into the abyss. I don't, I don't even know if he's still playing football, but I don't think he is. Uh, I'm going to say bust. Yeah, he's probably the biggest bust on the list of the top five, right? Um, well, when you consider the fanfare, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, and like, just like the attitude that he had, like, yeah. did, did he ever start a game? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I can't remember one. I mean, let me, let me, let me confirm that because if I'm wrong about that, somebody's going to point that out. But, um, but I don't think he ever did. <laughs> the craziest thing about the Tate Martell thing is how he, he flames out at Miami and he flames out at UNLV and his freshman year at Ohio State, like they were incorporating package sets just for him to run the ball to sort of satisfy him and do that thing where they try to keep the true freshman quarterback prospect happy yeah. by giving him some run plays and some PT when they actually did not really care to to place him as the actual starter. I mean, Georgia did the same thing with Justin Fields, and it obviously didn't work out. It didn't work out for Ohio State in this case. But like the fact that Ohio State saw that much ability in him, at least as a freshman, and then it just never, ever clicked in college. That's the more surprising thing to me. Yeah, it's also just like still like that was the kid in QB1 who they would literally show drinking at parties in high school. Like that was just like the weirdest thing. Um, So, yeah, shockingly, I was not upset to see him experience poor fortune. Yeah. All right. So he is. He did did not start a game, by the way. I confirm that. All right. There we go. All right, last one, 2016. Number one, Shea Patterson committed to Ole Miss, ended up at Michigan. Bust. You're saying bust? Dude, he's in the USFL now. Come on. Yeah, he was the number one overall pick. <laughs> and he's. I think he got cut from a team. I'm not even kidding. You know who the best kicker in the USFL is? No. It's a Notre Dame soccer player who never played tackle football until the USFL. He's the most accurate kicker in the, in the league. Shea Patterson so. is not the most accurate quarterback. He was the number one overall pick, then got traded, then cut. Here's the thing. I see why you're saying a bust. He certainly didn't live up to the expectations of a number one overall quarterback prospect, but he did lead Michigan. You know, he's pretty good at Ole Miss. So for the sake of this exercise, the way we're doing it, I can't call Davis Mills a hit and call Shea Patterson a bust. So I'm going to say yeah. a hit, but he was more of a hit at a different school. And in, yeah. in, in the class of 2016, if you look at the top 10 quarterbacks, nine of which transferred to a different school, at least at some point. The one who didn't was Dwayne Haskins, but he was at number seven. So we're going to move on to number two, 
Jacob Eason committed to Georgia, ended up at Washington. This one's another interesting one. Yeah, this is maybe the most interesting case because I would actually say he was a hit at both schools, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Like, he was pretty good at Georgia. He just got hurt and then he got screwed because they had such a good team in 2017. They didn't want to mess up a good thing going, and Jake Fromm took them to the national championship game. He had no choice. Um, so, yeah, I think he was a hit at both schools. He was pretty good at both spots. Yep, I think you hit it right on the head. I'm going to say hit. He was supposed to be the quarterback against Notre Dame back in 2017, and then yep. Fromm had his little coming out party. Okay, number three, K.J. Costello committed to Stanford, ended up at Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, he looked incredible against LSU in 2020 in the opener, and then I think he was uh, benched by the time, like, halfway through the year. So, I'm gonna, I, like, he was, like, whatever at Stanford. He wasn't great. Um, I don't want to call him a hit, so I guess I'll call him a bust. Another Stanford guy, weirdly enough. I know. Stanford actually had a lot of top quarterback recruits, none of which uh, particularly panned out. Yeah, I'm saying mm-hmm. bust as well. Felipe Franks, um, he went to Florida. Then he ended up at Arkansas. I'm going to jump the gun here and just say he was a bust, and I hated watching him every time. Yeah, he's still in the NFL, though. So if we use uh, if we use your logic, he plays on special teams, too. Okay, so, so he's a bust. I'm not counting <laughs> yeah. that. Is it? He was one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen play for Florida, and Florida's had some bad ones. Do you remember that Florida-Miami, like, week yes. zero game? That yes. absolute stinker, that dud yeah. of a football game? And yeah. he was, and like, talking trash and stuff to the crowd, and then he immediately turned around and threw a debilitating pick for Florida. He sucked. Yeah, I do remember that. Wow, it's, it's now all of a sudden, if, if anybody was worried about that tornado I mentioned earlier, it's now beautiful, so I don't know what happened. But it was pretty dicey for a couple of <laughs> I think I could hear some of it coming through the mic. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's all good. All right, five, Brandon Peters committed to Michigan. He ended up at Illinois, I'm going to be honest, and – Totally forgot of this guy. I, I don't even know who he is. Yeah, I rem- I remember him because I'm pretty sure he's from like Rochester, Illinois, who is this like small school powerhouse that is always in the state championship game, and they run like a run and shoot. And I just remember him putting up a bunch of yards, but uh, he was not good in college, so I'm going to call him a bust. All right. Well, that does it for our top fives of each class. Luke and I actually did the same thing but we did the top 10 quarterbacks of each class. But to save time, we're not going to do that. We're only just going to do the top five. But I think the results are pretty interesting. Um, I looked at it in total here. Out of the top 50 – actually, no, let's do top five first. So 25 quarterbacks um, over the past five years, starting in 2020, I got nine solid hits at the schools that they committed to. That's just 36%. Three hits um, at different schools. So if you group those together, that's 12 – Really good players in some cases, elite in some. That's only 48%. Two of which, though, to be determined, TJ Uyunglele and Spencer Radler. Uh, 11, just hard bus. <laughs> no debate. 14 out of the 25 transferred at least one time. And if you want to go bigger here and look at the top 10, it's really not that much better. I had 15 solid hits, four at different schools. We still have the two to be determined, as I mentioned. 29 just straight up bust. That's 58%, folks, and 27 of those 50 transferred. But again, are we saying that like Notre Dame should stop recruiting top quarterbacks? No, absolutely not, because as I mentioned at the top, six out of the last 10 quarterbacks to win a game in the playoff were the top in their class. Bryce Young, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Jake Fromm, Deshaun Watson, all these guys – some of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the past decade plus in college. Could C.J. Carr be one of those guys? I think so. I think you think so as well, Luke. But the fact of the matter is there's a chance he might not, so Notre Dame needs to continue to be as aggressive as possible recruiting the quarterback position, and hopefully that means Dante Moore. Right, absolutely. And I'll just add on my own notes that um, if you looked at the top 10, I had five out of 50 that were who or haven't heard of. So, like, that goes to show you, like, I like to think I'm pretty well-vested but or well-versed in this stuff, but some of these guys truly didn't pan out at all. I think my favorite one, though, was uh, my note for Dylan Morris, who is at Washington. If you just Google him, I was trying to figure out like how bad he's really been in Washington. If you Google him, the first result is Morris's third pick seals Montana's epic upset <laughs> over Washington. <laughs> I mean, there, there are some names in here that are just hilarious to me that I, I legit have never even heard of. 
Um, and, you know, they were top recruits at one point. And, again, this is a consensus. This way is the evaluations from all the major recruiting outlets, so you can't just say, oh, it's on three sucks. Nope, this is everyone coming together. But I guess when we do this, is it really that surprising? Because you look at the NFL and, like, what, 50% of every first-round draft pick in the NFL flames yeah. out? And those are, those are guys who do it for the living. I think the, the main premise here is that evaluating quarterbacks and, how, and projecting how they will perform from one level to the next is extremely difficult. And the best way to combat it is just get a bunch of them because some of them are going to work out and some of them likely are going to end up being really, really good like some of these guys I just mentioned. Yeah, uh, that actually reminds me. Um, I don't know. I may have told you this story before, but my old job, we were working on a project for uh, like a medical device vendor. And essentially, um, we had to talk with some internal employees at the, co- at the company that we were working with. And this is like a bunch of, we're talking to a bunch of sales reps that sold like endoscopic surgery appliances and tools. And I'm looking at the list of employees I need to talk to. I see Shane Morris, and I'm like, that can't be. I look him up on LinkedIn. It is that Shane Morris. And I'm like, I'm calling him. Like, I don't actually have a whole lot to ask him. I just like <laughs> want to confirm this is him. And I'm like, hey, like, so I start talking to him. I'm like, so are you like, did you play at Michigan? And he's like, yeah, I did. Um, and he's like, yeah, it didn't work out. So, you know, I'm in med sales now. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He was what, a five-star, 2013, and I just looked it up. The only other five-star quarterback in that class consensus was Max Brown, who was ass. <laughs> and now his, his big claim to fame is that he, like, is married to some girl who's famous on Instagram for talking about how hard it is not being an athlete anymore. So, um, yeah, he, uh, he really hit the lottery as well. His football career panned out, too. <laughs> All right, well, that's all I've got on the quarterbacks. Um, you got anything else before we wrap this up? Um, nothing. Just go Irish, I guess. Beat Longhorns. Domaha. Yeah. Can we? Can so we bad, it's I, funny. I don't. I, I don't really like Domaha, but like it's I get terrible. It, so we're just yeah. we're gonna like just ride it out. Obviously, I'm not gonna not say it. But all right, uh, that'll do it for this episode of Sun Saturday Irish. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, please give us a follow at Sunset Irish on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Like I said at the beginning. We're hoping to be back at some point next week once this uh, second major recruiting weekend on the campus of Notre Dame is over. We hope to have Mike Singer on. We'll go over that, get a little bit more into the other commitments, and we're going to talk about C.J. Carr and Dante Moore. But until then, take care.